Coming up on Something is About to Happen. My friends, you move in the realm of what is possible. That's how you move. You move in the realm of what is possible. But God moves, in other words, He manifests Himself in the realm of the impossible. He likes it when you have difficulty because it is His opportunity to reveal to you how awesome He, your God, is. The God who cannot lie. Tell about four people this morning and text about four people if you can. Tell them, your God cannot lie, even if he tried. Father, bless your word. Minister it to our understanding. Thank you for securing our future already with the promises you have given us now. Cause our hearts and faith to rise to fierce belief that no matter what we see, we will not stagger at your promises. So let it be that your people may be delivered from cancer, poverty, irresponsibility, sickness, weakness, uh, disappointment, and everything in the negative realm. Let that now be resigned to the region of the past as your promise inserts itself in the life of your children and blocks the past and its consequences and makes this future reality the hope of every heart till faith comes alongside as terra firma to bring hope to pass. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody who believes, please shout a big amen. amen. God most often reveals himself to you in your life's toughest situations. When you're in a quandary, when you feel like you're in trouble, you're neither here nor there, you're going through hell, you're not sure how things are going to turn, and you feel like nothing is happening in your life, nothing good. And you must appreciate now that your soul is easily accessed by the perception of your five senses, particularly sight and what you hear. And your soul has an enormous faculty called emotions. And when your situation is so negative and your senses pick up all this negativity, it sends signals to your soul and you become emotionally negative, sorrowful, um, afraid, full of fright, uh, despondent, distressed. And these negative emotions are not good for the faith that you are to move in. But God, on the other hand, he accesses you in your spirit who is the real you. But if you have no understanding, what your spirit gets will not benefit you. Because your spirit has to communicate what he knows to your thinking. And so if there's anything you have to fix after you get born again, it's your thinking. That's why Paul tells us, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So transformation is the, is, is the function of changing your thinking to align with God. But he's insistent that you get a revelation in your spirit first. 
then it makes it easy for your mind to run with your spirit and to say no to what your five senses are suggesting because of the reality of your situation. The situation is real, we cannot deny it. My friends, you move in the realm of what is possible. That's how you move. You move in the realm of what is possible. But God moves, in other words, he manifests himself in the realm of the impossible. He moves in the realm of what we call impossible. In other words, he likes trouble. He likes it when you have difficulty because it is his opportunity to reveal to you how awesome he, your God is. What I am able to do is possible. What I am unable to do is impossible. Uh, what my mother cannot do for me is impossible. It's impossible. Though my daddy is there and he can't do it for me either, it's impossible. My network of, of high connections can't do it for me either, it's impossible. When everything I have access to can't do it for me, it is no longer in the realm of the possible, it's the realm of the impossible. I wonder if there's anybody here who has impossible things that you want badly. And you really feel that it was God who put the want in you for those impossible things. And for some, the thing you want is normal. Other people have it or have them. Normally a new two-year-old couple will not ask God to help them to have a baby because it's normal for a young couple who are still vigorous, virile, and still potent to have children. Unless something has gone wrong in their biology, in their reproductive biology. Um, because for most people, having children is the realm of what's possible. But when the doctor says to you, there's something wrong, you have hormonal challenges and imbalances and there's a few huge fibers, they're too difficult for us to mitigate and sir, your, your sperm count is weak and your sperm is watery and somehow we, we need to give you some medication and we're going to try a few things including IVF and these are your options. 14 years of trial, nothing happens. My dad's help is not working, he has plenty of money. My mother's help is not working. She was a midwife, she's a gynecologist, it's not working. I have money even though I'm running out because of spending all of it on, on this endeavor, that's not working. This is now the realm of the impossible. Now let's examine the sovereignty of God momentarily because it's his sovereignty that is at work because if he wanted to, he could decide I, I will stop this situation at year two, but he didn't. Instead, he leads you to Christ and you get born again in the great church, you become excited and then you get married and then you, you find love in the marriage and then, and then you, you expect what is normal and it doesn't happen for you. Because in his sovereignty, he has allowed you to be in a place where you cannot get the help you need from anybody else but God.
Because everybody you call to help you, they tried, but, but they found it impossible to change your situation. Help me and just text one or two people or look at two or three people if you're in the studio audience and tell them what you need is a revelation of who God is. Yeah, and tell another person God wants to reveal himself to you. Most people recognize God, that's why they're in church. But recognition of God and revelation of God are two completely different things. God wants to be revealed, not recognized. Because to be recognized just means you acknowledge that he exists. But you haven't recognized that he exists in all his attributes for you. So that he can show you that he is more than the opposite to your enemy and your situation. So what happens now as a result of his sovereign mitigation in your circumstances, you begin to call upon God and he doesn't come until the situation has completed its total work of bringing you into a place where if God doesn't help you, you cannot be helped. Only God can do this one, only God. So because he moves in the impossible, it is his natural habitat, it is, it is his element of excellence. But you ask him to come into your life to do the possible. So for example, what I do is, uh, Lord help me to get the car. Lord, help me to get the house or build the house or buy the house. Lord, help me to have the child. I'm, I'm asking him to do what is normally possible with men, but because of my situation, it feels impossible to me. And so I ask him for the car uh, because I, 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 I need it. I, I absolutely have to have it uh, because it's possible. But that's too easy for God. So when you ask him for the car, he looks at you and asks you for the car factory. Because you're asking him to move in your life, he's asking you to move in his agenda. You want a car so you can have transportation, he wants you to have a car factory so he can give everybody a car. So that your nation can be a developed country where everybody has ease of life. You ask him for, for the house because you're looking for an intervention in your life. But God is looking for an intervention in his agenda and you are his man or his woman on the planet. And he says, no, I don't want to give you a house. I want you to give me a city because I put the power to create a city inside you. God, give me the child, was Abraham's cry. After all, you put the desire in me when I was minding my own business. And God says, no, Abraham, I don't want to give you a child. I want you to give me not just the nation of human beings in their billions. I want you to give me nations. You're calling me to move in your life. I'm calling you to move in my agenda. Please hear this. It is not you, but it is God who takes the initiative to come into your world at a time when you are most open to listen to him. And if he has a plan for you and you're not listening, he will create the circumstances to make you a listener. 
and then he takes the initiative to come into your world and he introduces himself to you as the God who did everything you saw in the life of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Joshua, who did everything like open the Red Sea, send 10 plagues on, the, on their captors, and he makes that introduction personal. And you are most sensitive to who he is when you are most tried by life. You thought you came to him. No, he came to you. And it is him who chooses you and chooses more often than not the least likely, the most disadvantaged, the ones that folks say, no, God can't use him or can't do anything special with her. So while you are reading in your impossible circumstances and in your painful situation, astonishingly, of all the people in the world, he comes to you to announce that I am the I am and I am going to bless you. And in fact, I ain't just promising, uh, I swear. I'm going to bless you. In other words, let me cease to be if I don't bless you. I'm putting all of who I am on the line to assure you that I'm going to bless you. That's what he's saying. So the blessing blocks your past and deals with you on the basis of the new you. Uh, the consequences of your past are also obliterated by the power of the blessing. Many people don't understand that. The promise from God, it, it breaks or blocks your past and separates the old you from the new you. That's why you must not go back to being the old you. Because that guy, as far as God is concerned, is dead. The promise is interesting because it is about your future and the future is the reality that satisfies and fulfills the promise can I say it again so the promise is about your tomorrow and your tomorrow is the reality that fulfills and satisfies the promise and once God makes the announcement, the devil from hell cannot stop the reality of your future. You can't stop it. But if you are insensitive to God, you can stop moving towards your future. And you can go back to being the old you. But when God has sworn it, all of creation as to what that part of creation that he needs is going to go into work to bring the new you to pass. I had no future until God made an announcement. And the announcement is about a future reality that has not yet come to pass. And the good news is that the devil can't stop it. This is why God then boldly declares by the voice of a prophet, no weapon that is fashioned against you shall prosper. And any tongue that rises up against you, that's the new you, in judgment, you shall condemn how? Just by being the new you. So my point now is that the promise is the ground. I'm standing on ground. 
That's why I'm standing. If it was quicksand, I would sink. The promise is the ground. It's the premise by which God reveals that he is God and that he alone is the God who will do it for you. And he loves to stack the odds against himself so that when he overcomes everything that stacks against him working positively in your life, everybody knows that it was not your ability, it was the doing of the Lord, it becomes marvelous in their eyes. And now he gives you what I call a stupendously ridiculous blessing. Can I preach to somebody for a few moments? In other words, God is never intimidated by the gargantuan size or the difficulty of your circumstances in fact he allows the devil to pile it on some more he says that's too much lightweight for me you give me at least a middleweight or heavyweight he says give me something that's more kindred to my scale give me your best shot devil when I say I'm going to bless her nothing is going to stop me and you certainly are just a fly in the whole calculations so bring it all bring it all on in other words Abraham I'm not going to give you the child at 90 I'll wait till you are completely dead in your reproductive system I will own your process I will own your miracle I will own the honor and the credit for what is done in your life because I want to use you as an advertising board for everybody else in front of whom I'm going to lift you up so high that everybody will see you and you know Abraham had a challenge because Abraham was stupendously rich God had blessed him in every other area but this one area he had problems when you have everything, one of the worst things for a leader is to not have a successor. When you look all around you and they don't just fit the bill. And the closest you are, the furthest away from the wherewithal to handle it. And God puts them in things where they start showing their true color. Abraham was in pain. Because God had told him, Eliezer is not your heir. Said Ishmael is not your heir. I'm not going to bring the heir from Ishmael's line. No, 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 no. I'm going to give you laughter, not pain. So the promise is the ground by which God reveals himself to you that he is God and he alone will do it. And he stacks the odds against himself because he's not intimidated by the odds. He's in a class by himself. He alone is God and besides him there is no other. Uh, look at somebody tell him I don't see it but he promised it look at somebody else tell him I don't see it but God guaranteed it tell a third person I don't see it but God has announced it and his announcement is equivalent to both the title deed and the deed of assignment I have prophesied to somebody this morning that lands and houses equity in the Nigerian land and the fat of this nation by divine pronouncement is being transferred by divine deed of assignment to the righteous in the land for it is written that the wealth of the wicked will be transferred into the hands of the righteous righteousness is not something you earn it is something that you get by simply believing in God that means you should spend the rest of your days in the next two years walking out of your house not expecting the negative 
to happen, but expecting that in the midst of the negative, great things are going to happen sequentially, systematically, for your profound benefit in a stupendously ridiculous way, that by the time God is done effecting the promise of the blessing people are going to look at you and not be able to reconcile how somebody like you could have what God is giving you I hope I'm raising your eyes I hope I'm lifting up your desire so that you start reaching for more that is outside the realm of your possibility but is inside the realm of what men call impossible but God declares nothing is too hard for me If I'm talking to you right now, pick up your phone and text about five people and tell them, watch out for me. I have a promise from God. There's a promise from God on my life. There's a promise from God on my life. I don't know who I'm preaching to, but you've had sorrow in the last year. You've been down in the last two or three years. You have to wear a fake face to make it look like all is well, but you know where the shoe pinches and where the hurt hurts. But I want to tell you this morning, that you are going to laugh you are going to laugh God is going to put so much laughter in your belly that it's going to overflow through your mouth it's going to cause joy the joy is going to have a cyclical effect on you and cause you to have strength I prophesy laughter with a reason laughter from a cause laughter because of a deliverance laughter because of the blessing laughter because of the promise of God you might not have the breakthrough yet but it sure enough is going to happen if that's you run to five people don't touch them but bluetooth them and tell them watch out for me the blessing is about to happen in my life Uh, oh god i feel something i feel something Uh, so i must examine while you sit for a moment uh, this word yet this word yet uh, and insist that it becomes a useful part of your lexicon as we inject it into your thinking your vocabulary your verbiage and your diction Uh, we must engage its usefulness uh, the more because as people hope uh, uh, and have faith for what they hope for uh, God doesn't have to bring it to pass immediately and there are reasons why he is not immediate in bringing it to pass because he has to get it ready sometimes and sometimes it's ready and he has to get you ready so there's time required for you on earth no time required for him in heaven because he doesn't live in time so Paul teaches us this that this thing is not of law so it cannot be by your work that you get it in other words it is by grace it is a free gift from God and that means you can't work to get it in your hands but what God does is he runs all the way over to you in the middle of your trouble and he says hey I'm on your side I am your guy here is your blessing now as I've handed it to him but if he don't stretch out his hand to take it it's not his stretching is not work stretching is the fruit of desire 
stretching is not labor. Otherwise, it would be of law that I worked my job and they must give me my wages and I want my wages. But God says, I'm not in the business of giving wages. I'm in the business of giving exceedingly abundantly far above all you worked for. So that what you get in grace far outclasses what you get from work. So that you will know that it is me that is at work in your life. How do you get God to work in your life? The gospel. Faith. Faith in the gospel. For faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of grace. That's what Paul meant when he wrote the word of God. He meant by understanding and hearing and hearing the message of his mystery. The message of the proper teaching of the gospel. Hallelujah. You have need of patience. That after you have believed the promise, you can see the manifestation of the will of God. And the challenge is that God does not move as quickly as you'd like him to move because he is testing or proving your faith. To see whether when you feel like you are being denied, you still believe. Because if you stop believing when you feel like you're being denied, you are not operating in faith. Because faith does not die. If it is real faith, it cannot die. Because it, has, it is as eternal as the promise saw, because the promise is God. He's not separate from his word. His word is the promise. The word is eternal, it cannot die. The God of the word is eternal too. Hallelujah. So he's testing your faith. That's why you need time. James 1, verse 2 to 4. Let's read it carefully. James 1, verse 2 to 4. Count it all joy when you fall into diverse trials. Temptations, that refers to trials mainly. Knowing this, that the testing or the trying of your faith, it produces patience. It teaches you patience, how to wait. In other words, if it's a good thing you're going to get from God, it's worth waiting for. But let patience have her total or perfect work so that you may become perfect, Abraham, not a father of many nations with no child. So that you may become perfect, entire, that means complete, lacking nothing. So what God either has for you or has you for takes time to prepare. Because he will not just give me anything. He gives me the best of everything. So he's not just going to give me anything because he's the God of grace. He's going to give me the very best of everything. And he needs time to either put me together for it or put it all together for me. So lady, you want the best man in town. But can I ask you a question? Are you the best woman in town yet. Or guy, you want the best gal in town, you want to marry her, but are you the best guy in town yet? It doesn't follow that God should give his best to somebody who isn't ready for the best yet. So while you are waiting on him to give you the best, 
God is raising your value in your tempest, your twists and your turns and allowing the fire to prove you as pure gold as the fire burns away your dross so that after the waiting through trials, you become good enough for the good enough gal or the best gal that you want, that he put in your heart to want. Oh girl, the guy that you do, you know the guy is too much for you. You do, you know. And when you look at yourself, your friends tell you that, listen, bring your mind down. But because you have a promise, you're thinking on a different level. And what you are not thinking about is the need for patience. Because many promises I was given 20, 30 years ago, I thought they were for 20, 25 years ago. I didn't realize they were for now. That there's a building process to get me ready for the best that God has ready for me. I couldn't just walk into this. I had to be prepared for it. That's why this took time to get to me. You get it? So understand the waiting process that there's a development required because you do not have the gravitas of character yet, nor the honing of your skills and gifts totally yet, and both have to be groomed and built into you sufficiently so that you can handle what God has to because he doesn't want his blessing to become a curse in your life. Do you get it? I hope you do. If you get it, you will enjoy patience. You will enjoy knowing I am being built. So you can take a licking and keep on ticking. You can hear bad news and still keep a good attitude. You can go through the fire and recognize the fire didn't come to kill me. It just came to refine me. So when you look at Abraham, God is fixing to give him a ridiculous blessing. And he's not ready yet. He's certainly not ready because anybody who can go and sleep with his house girl because his wife who was supposed to have the child for him says, look, I can't take this anymore. Let us pretend that it is my child, but go into my housemaid. Yeah. Anybody who could do that is not yet ready for the blessing. You get it? And Abraham was not dead enough because he sired Ishmael from Abimelech at age 86. He received the promise at age 75. So 11 years later, he's not dead enough yet. God wants you so dead that when he does it, you will have no claim to having any contribution to making it happen. You just reached out and took what God gave you. Hallelujah. But Sarah's womb has always been dead. It was dead from when they married. She was made barren from the beginning for a reason. She had a situation because God had appointed her as the tapestry upon which he would display his glory and his ability to do the impossible. Now we also know that Abraham was just not of the right character yet. He's passing through Abimelech's town. Abimelech sees Abraham spotting his wife, spotting her on his... And, uh, <laughs> they're moving. And Sarah was a pretty woman to the end. And he sees her from his window. He says, give me that woman. Abraham did not say she's my wife. Oh. He said, okay, you can have her. She's my sister. Sarah knows something. That she's God's property. She climbs into Abimelech's bed. Because you dare not disobey Abimelech. And she's waiting for God. When Abimelech comes out in his dressing gown, God says, if you touch her, you and everything inside you are dead. That woman is my woman for my purpose. Instantly, he got up, he summoned Abraham. He said, carry your load and just get out, go. Get out of here. 
Because God would not let the seed of a man without covenant with him enter the womb of Sarah because from birth, from the foundations of the earth, Sarah was appointed to be the womb that would carry the progenitors of Messiah. Do you get it? But Abraham was not yet ready because if he could do that to his wife and mistreat her on that level, he was not yet ready to be father. You want to be the father of such a special child that you waited for for so long? Get your act together. Become a man in character. You get it? And, and you, you have the challenges you have because your child is not going to be the same as people who had children just as they, they did it. Believers or unbelievers. You were reserved for a reason. That's why it's only God who can move in your realm because your realm is the realm of the impossible. You get it? But somebody shout joy. Somebody shout joy again. So things have now become ridiculous for the blessing to still happen. Abraham and Sarah are old. Abraham is 99 years old. Sarah is about 90 years old. And they're both worn out. Nothing is happening in their reproductive systems. There's no strength there at all. So it is now truly ridiculous for this promise of 24 years to come to pass. God never told Abraham when he was going to have the child. At 75, he went to meet him. Uh, later on, he entered a contract. He never told him when. So year one, he didn't say it's next year. He never said it's in five years, never said it's in two years. Until year 24, he now comes to Abraham and tells him when. Now, if I was God, I would do the same thing. Why? Because if I told him at the beginning that you will wait 25 years, Abraham would say, carry your load and just be going. Now, what do you mean? <laughs> you, you know, I will manage Hagar. You understand? But this is how God works, Mr. Jenkins. He calls Abraham, come. He says, follow me. I'm going to take you to a land. And I'm going to bless you so enormously to be a ridiculous blessing. And God is the only one between the two of them that has directions to know exactly where the blessing is. So the, the challenge for Abraham is Abraham cannot get rid of God. Otherwise, he will not get to the place where the blessing is because God has the directions. That means Abraham is scared of losing God. And God now has the security that this guy who I've made the promise to, he's going to hold on to me because I'm the only one who knows where his blessing is, how to get it to him, and how to make it happen. So Abraham, even when he gets upset with me for delaying so much, he cannot get rid of me. In fact, he's invested so much time now that he might as well do the rest of the time. Do you understand? Is that not how God deals with you? Where you want to, you get so upset and you want to just say, God, I'm not doing this thing with you anymore. I'm going on my own. Um, but, but you can't because he's the only one who knows where the promise is. And the promise has become so much a part of your life and how you think that you don't want to let go of the promise even though you're thinking about letting go of God. But you, 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 you want both so much that you say, God, I'm holding on to you. That's what happened to Abraham. Yeah? That's what happened to Abraham. And Abraham is sitting down it is such a hot day. It's probably about 47, 48 degrees. 
he can sense something. That at the gate to his compound, there's a presence. He knows the presence because the presence has had systematic sequential rendezvous with him over a period of time. And every time he had those things, a blessing came into his life. It wasn't the blessing he wanted, but it was the capacity and the facility to look after children. Abraham was blessed so wealthily that he could look after children who were not his own and he ran a little country. That he sees and recognizes that is God. And he beckons to them to come in. He's represented by three people, whether they were angelic or whether it was a theophany or whether one of them was God and the others were his angels. I don't know, but God was there. And he says, please don't go anywhere. Let me give you hospitality. He got some livestock, some meat, got some bread, some cakes. He had his wife turn something for them and said, please come in. And they ate. And when they had finished eating, they said, where is Sarah, your wife? Indicating why they had come. It wasn't just to bless Sarah, but it was to fulfill the integrity of a promise that was based on the divine agenda for all time and all eternity and all humanity. You get it? And he said, be assured that by this time next year, your wife Sarah is going to have a child. Sarah heard it and she didn't believe it and she started laughing in her mind. And God said, why is Sarah laughing? And Sarah said, no, I didn't laugh. Because her laughter was a sign of unbelief. There are two types of laughter. The one where you laugh because it is ridiculous. And she was right to laugh because it was a ridiculous proposition. Can I announce to you this morning that God is making a ridiculous proposition to you that you have refused to believe hitherto. But he's saying to you, lift your eyes much higher because what I want to do for you is not on the level of your thinking, it is much higher. Sarah, because of your circumstances, you disbelieve that I can give you a child who will become the father of many nations. Abraham, you are as guilty. Hallelujah. The miracle was not first going to happen to Sarah, it was going to first happen to Abraham because Abraham was now dead. But God now would put the seed in Abraham and Abraham would put the seed in Sarah. The seed was the miracle, his name is Christ. And as soon as the seed hit his loins, he came back to life, he put the seed in Sarah, her womb came back to life. So he could sire the seed. Hear what I'm saying? And look at what happened. Oh God, I feel something. There is a set time, write it down. 14th of February, 2021. I, I, I want to almost make the promise that if you write it down and you take careful cognizance of what happens to you between now and then, you will see it come to pass. I don't know what God is going to birth, but what I do know is that there's somebody here, you are going to birth something that is gonna cause you laughter that never ends. 
you have joy unspeakable and full of glory your life will no longer be tainted and tarnished by disappointment despondency depression and distress sadness and sorrow every area of your life is going to feel the touch uh, the magnanimous intervention of the Almighty God where your life becomes sweet it goes out of black and white into technicolor who am I preaching to this morning if that's you reach for three or four people and tell them uh, get ready for a ridiculous blessing a ridiculous blessing a totally ridiculous blessing and when God spoke to Sarah he said to her that is anything too hard for God can I prophesy to somebody uh, that house it's not too hard for God that issue that's incorrigibly recalcitrant and refuses to listen to you it's not too hard for God gaining that car and the garage and the forecourt to put it in it's not too difficult for God that errant child that seems to keep going his own way and doesn't listen to sound reason he is too difficult for you but he's not too difficult for God that breakthrough that brings you to a place of solvency and sufficiency so that you can live your dream instead of being frustrated by your dream it's too difficult for you but it's not too difficult for God can I explain for a moment and I'll be out of your way here is God and he's earmarked you and he's come to you like he's come to Abraham and somebody's going to have an encounter with God this week uh, somebody's going to have an encounter with God tonight somebody's already in the encounter right now and instead of just hearing a preacher they're hearing the voice of God in the voice of the preacher and this is what I'm trying to say to you I don't know where you are uh, but the house he's about to give you it is so plush it is so opulent it is so well appointed appointed and so beautifully located on a beautiful island somewhere in the world and it's so big that your neighbors have to walk a hundred yards on each side to just get to your first gate and when they look at the house from beyond the gate they ask the gate men and say whose house is this I don't know I'm not allowed to tell how many of them live here it's just the guy and his 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 new wife uh, uh, they say only two that's ridiculous or or uh, your folk who knew you and knew how you used to hitch a ride sometimes you could afford the uber most times you took the downfall but but now you ask them to come over to dinner at your house after covid and when they, they come in, they see seven cars in your forecourt. And you're still single. You have a proposition, but you're still single. And they say, are you married yet? So no, I'm not married. What are you doing with seven cars? Oh, I like cars. They say, that's ridiculous. He's going to give you double for your trouble. What he's going to give you is going to wipe out the pain of your past. Wipe out the consequences of your past. Wipe out all the criticisms from your past. He's going to give you laughter. Now, if you don't believe it, just stand there. But if you do believe it, I want you to just look up and say, I'm getting ready to laugh. I'm getting ready to laugh. What does God mean when he said, open your mouth and I will fill it? What he's saying is, I'm getting ready to give you laughter on a reason. I'm going to wipe out 
all the things that cause you sorrow and sickness and sadness and misery and depression, I'm going to give you a reason to laugh. And I will be the center of the reason, but around me I will have a firmament full of blessings on your life that will make you laugh forever. The big boys are going to get jealous of you. The big guys just got displaced and God is placing the small boys in charge. Can I tell you why? Because the big guys started to worship the stuff they had and they forgot who it was that gave them the power to get wealth. And the significant way to remember God who gave you wealth is to keep giving the wealth back to him and he keeps giving it back to you and he keeps giving it back to him and he keeps giving it back to you. That way your wealth increases because he can trust you to handle wealth. You're going to laugh. If you really, really got the message, you're going to laugh. You're going to laugh. But you know, laughter is only sweet when you've had sorrow. That's why he allows us to pass through some things sometimes. And you can't, if you're, if you're a child of God and you've walked with him, you cannot deny that you've had some wahala. It's part of the promise.